This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, July 5th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. To tip or not to tip, we'll get some advice in our next segment. But first, Facebook parent Meta is launching an app that directly takes on rival Twitter. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business is Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thank you for joining us today. There have been a number of Twitter competitors that have come across the transom in the month since Elon Musk uh, took over the company in uh, in 2022. Uh, some of those uh, competitors were ideologically driven. Uh, others were uh, driven out of frustration with a lot of technical bugs that have popped up with the site since then. But uh, Meta is a big company and it means business. So what is what will make Thread successful as far as Meta is concerned? I think probably the, the thing that will make it successful the fastest is Meta, uh, which is obviously um, you know run and owned by Facebook, is successful in telling its own story. In other words, the point of switching from Twitter to, to threads, which is what they're calling it, uh, is going to be dependent on what, whether or not Meta can say, hey, this is why it's better. Right now, they're creating it as quickly. They're running it. Meta doesn't rhyme with beta, but it's sort of like what's going to happen here with anybody who uses Threads initially. Um, Threads by Instagram is the official name, and it's basically a Twitter clone. And what that what that really means is that people are going to have to say to themselves, listen, I don't like the way, for example, uh, that Musk is limiting the number of uh, responses I can use on, on or that I can make on Twitter or limiting the number of times I can uh, log in and so forth. There are all kinds of limitations being placed. And in fact, some people are flocking to alternatives like Blue Sky. But if Meta does a good job telling its story why it's better than Twitter, then it will be successful, or at least initially so. Obviously, you judge any business that's success or failure on its ability to make money. But the one thing that Twitter has that all of its competitors uh, have yet to develop is uh, it's it's a place where important people hang out. Uh, politicians are there. Uh, media people are there. Athletes are there. Sports analysts are there. And is it possible for... Facebook to import that influential crowd? Uh, first of all, no, not import. That's a great question. And import suggests, okay, out of whole cloth, you just, Im- you just bring in all these, all this other, these other kinds of influence to your point about politicians and business leaders and so on. But what, and so basically what you're talking about is a pretty classic business problem, namely first to market. Twitter clearly is in terms of scope and scale, Jack Dorsey's original creation, uh, first to market. But speaking of Jack Dorsey, he launched Blue Sky as sort of a competitor to Twitter when he left Twitter. And uh, and guess what? They had record traffic the other day when, when uh, Musk started uh, announcing all the limitations So on Twitter itself. So back to your question, yes, um, it's going to be tough to import that influence. But guess what? 
that the arc of failure and success in this business, as you well know, is a lot faster and steeper than it used to be. So just because Twitter's first to market doesn't mean that uh, that in this case, uh, Threads by Instagram isn't going to be able to get a bunch of dissatisfied politicians, business leaders, uh, athletes and commentators and so on to come to it if that frustration rises high enough. So I think the jury's out. But look, the, it's very dangerous right now uh, for Twitter because they're having so many problems and so many alternatives are popping up. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, we'll look at the etiquette of tipping with more opportunities to do so. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A lot of consumers say tipping has gotten way out of hand. The opportunities for tipping. We welcome in Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. There have been rapid advances in the way we pay for food. A lot of it driven by the pandemic. A lot of it contact-free. And along with those advances in technology are more opportunities for tipping. There's always a tipping screen now before you pay what's the etiquette of tipping these days with more opportunities to do so well good morning rob Uh, first of all um tipping is on steroids and uh, i think that what we're seeing today is something that is is way overboard as far as etiquette goes uh i have to say i'm not certain anymore uh i believe that it's sort of been our discussions in the past when People have added 3% and 4% um, add-ons to the checks. The same thing's happening now is that owners of, of establishments, be it restaurants or other types of service areas, are all adding on uh, tipping opportunities. And it's taking away from their opportunity to pay for the individual who is working for them. So I think as far as etiquette goes, um, I think you have to pay for a service with some type of t- tip. But when it comes to a machine or some type of, of non-interpersonal action, I don't understand why a tip is deserving. There, the, the traditional tipping mode, at least as far as the uh, restaurant space is concerned, is that you add 20% to the bill for the server who was at your table. They brought your food, they got your drink right. order, uh, they took care of any special requests you may have, and in that case, a lot of people feel a tip is warranted. But what about counter service, where tipping wasn't the norm, but now it's increasingly become a part of the picture? Well, as you know, that came out of COVID. And I think people felt at that time that it was um, like a donation to be recognized, obviously, for working at that time period during a very difficult time. Um, that stayed with us. And as a result, counter service, uh, again, has now evolved into that 15, 20, I see 30 percent, which is, I think, off the charts. Um, I, I don't see it going away. And I think at this point, as far as what is, is etiquette, I think it's what you really feel is how well a person has performed. If it's for a cup of coffee, you know, maybe 15 percent. Um, but then again, people argue and say, well, listen, you can give this person 30 percent and it's going to be a difference of a few few cents or, for, or a few. You're buying a lot of coffee, a few dollars. But uh, I, I just I'm just not there with that at this point. I mean, I remember back in high school when I was a valet, we would pool the tip money at the end of the night and you'd walk home with a nice uh, wad of cash. What, how, is, how, how are tip funds pooled and dispersed to employees these days? You know, it depends on the, uh, the, the restaurant and what the philosophy of the restaurant is. Um, 
you know, generally, uh, if you're in the front lines, uh, you get a certain percent. If you're a person who's called a runner, um, they get a certain percent. Uh, if you are a bartender, you get a certain percent. And it, it, it goes down, you know, uh, appreciably uh, to ultimately, hopefully, uh, some restaurants do do it, is what we call the heart of the house, which is the kitchen. And there are uh, restaurants, which I really value what they're doing in that sort of context, of uh, providing uh, tips and gratuities to those people who are, in fact, cooking all the way down to dishwashers. Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, Indiana Jones facing big trouble at the box office. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's summer movie season and it's tough going so far for Disney. Saw another box office flop with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny over the holiday weekend. But there's still a lot of anticipated titles in the pipeline. Joining us to discuss is... Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore, based in Los Angeles. Paul, thank you for joining us today. So it seems like uh, the toughest villain ever faced by Indiana Jones is apathy. You know, that's a very interesting point. I think this movie had so much anticipation surrounding it. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Quite a title there, coming 41 years after the original Indiana or 41, 42 years after the original film. So for a movie to be number one from a franchise that's 40 years old is very impressive. But I think coming out of the Cannes Film Festival, there were some lukewarm reviews. I think that kind of set the tone. But uh, let's see how it does. It's doing pretty well midweek right now. There's not a ton of direct competition, obviously, till July 12 when Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 opens, and then a week and a half later is Barbie and Oppenheimer, and the list goes on and on. But it's it's a very competitive, very crowded summer movie marketplace, Rob. Now, in the case of Oppenheimer, uh, that movie is a bomb, but that's intentional because it's about the, the <laughs> building of the atomic bomb. By the way, I'm going to steal that from you. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, I think for me, that's going to be one of the coolest movie-going weekends ever to have two I guess you could say mid-century iconic characters or events, meaning the, the building of the atomic bomb or the development of that. And then, of course, Barbie being a cultural icon and, and one of the most well-known brands in history. That's going to be, for me, a, a weekend where if you're a film fan, a movie lover, you love going out to the movie theater, that's going to be a good one for sure. And the Mission Impossible is getting unbelievable buzz right now coming in the wake of the premiere of the movie and tom cruise is literally everywhere uh talking about this film now the uh the box office for 2023 is tracking ahead of 2022 so people are clearly going back to the movie theater but it's not quite at 2019 and in fact needs to finish strong to come even close does this mean that we're going to have to really rethink our hollywood has got to really rethink uh just making movies and and movies that will draw people to theaters because uh, we even though we talked about this before that maybe just making sh- just putting out movies to put in the theater may not be good enough anymore. Well, that's right. I mean, it's it. Look, people love going to the movie theater, but there are so many options for entertainment that if the movies in the theaters aren't drawing people in a big way, either the trailer does it or the word of mouth or the buzz has to be particularly strong. Just having a big brand like The Flash, for example, or Indiana Jones, 
isn't enough. The movies have to deliver the goods. The good news is, though, is that we have a lot more films coming out this year than last, but it's not just about sheer quantity. It has to be about quality as well. Like Glenn Fry saying, the heat is on, I think, for uh, the movies for the rest of the summer to really deliver. I think we can. The summer movie season is a very small ecosystem. So even though the summer right now is down slightly from last summer when Maverick was ruling the box office, there's a lot of movies to come, especially August is loaded with movies, whereas last August, last year, um, not very many. Bullet Train was really the only game in town. So there's still a lot of hope out there for a really strong box office for the summer and for the year. Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst with Comscore in Los Angeles. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Israel ends a deadly occupation in the West Bank. New information about a Independence Day weekend drowning in Lake Michigan. It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. How you can keep your emotions in check while investing. And we'll also talk about how a major sandwich chain is potentially going private. WBBM business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 141 points. The NASDAQ is down 22, and the S&P 500 is down 9. We have 89 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, going up to 92 today. The AccuWeather the real feels in the upper 90s. A flash flood watch will take effect at 2 o'clock this afternoon for some strong thunderstorms that are on the way. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Israel has ended its operation in the northern West Bank after two days of violence. The details from correspondent Charles de Ledesma. Israel's withdrawn its troops from Janine but warns that its most intense military operation in the occupied territory in nearly two decades was not a one-off. The pullout ends a raid that killed 13 Palestinians and one Israeli soldier. (laughs) Residents of the refugee camp emerged from their homes to find alleys lined by piles of rubble and flattened or scorched cars. Shopkeepers and bulldozers started clearing the debris and thousands who fed the fighting began returning. The Israeli army claims to have inflicted heavy damage on militant groups in the operation, which included a series of airstrikes and hundreds of ground troops. I'm Charles Diladesma. 43-year-old Luke Laidley of Winnetka has been identified as the, by the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office as the man who died after trying to rescue a child who fell into Lake Michigan off of Elder Beach in Winnetka yesterday. The child fell into the water while tubing with other children. Laidley was trying to rescue the child when he began having trouble swimming. Dave Benjamin of the Great Lake Surf Rescue Project, which teaches courses for Lake Michigan lifeguards, explains how to help a drowning victim. If you're doing CPR and- drowning victim, you must do rescue breaths 
and the compressions. The American Heart Association and the American Red Cross have updated its standards just this year that if it's a drowning victim, you should do five rescue breaths, 30 compressions. Laidley was pulled from the water, then taken to an area hospital where he died a short time later. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Stocks are lower. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business is Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearstead Advisors in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And it seems everyone is watching and waiting on the Fed minutes from the June meeting. Yes, that's uh, that, that's imminent. And what we're trying to figure out is how serious uh, they are about two more interest rate increases, which Powell has been telegraphing uh, at the press conference and, and his, at his uh, congressional testimony uh, since then. So not only do you have that, but you have the payrolls number this Friday to see uh, uh, how hot the economy is running and whether we're going to have wage inflation. And then you get an important uh, consumer price index report uh, next week, and then you get the Fed meeting and uh, second quarter earnings report. So the market was up a lot in the first half, and it's facing a lot of uncertainty over the next few weeks. So it's not surprising that you're having a little bit of a correction. And when it comes to the uh, the Fed minutes that come out in just a matter of minutes, it's trying to, to gauge the intensity of the debate between the uh, various members of the Open Market Committee. Yes, absolutely. We're trying to see whether they are uh, unanimous in, in uh, looking for two or more rate increases, or whether there's a lot of dissent and people who, who are going to try to act as a restraining force. So, yes, we're trying to read between the tea leaves and get some color on the uh, the dispersion of Fed opinion. Where, where is inflation at right now? I mean, if, if, you, if you look at just the uh, CPI and the PPI numbers, it's uh, heading Two and possibly through four percent, two percent is the target. But I'm sure you've seen this on social media as well. A lot of you know there 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 are different inflation gauges, and some argue it's already at two percent just based on on where things are month over month. Yes, uh, not only that, but some of the real time indicators uh, indicate that uh, rents and and shelter costs, which are a big part of the CPI or the PCE, which the uh, Fed looks at are actually uh, declining rapidly, whereas the Fed is looking at rear-looking uh, uh, data. But uh, the Fed is going to make sure that they don't get this wrong. I think they're, they, they're looking at the economy as strong enough to withstand a little bit of overkill on their part to make sure that they don't stop uh, too soon and then face a reacceleration in inflation where they would lose all of their remaining credibility given how late they were to start the, uh, uh, the, the interest rate increases. So uh, the, the inflation is probably four and a half heading down. We'll see uh, how, how fast heading down, but we do know it's heading down. And we, we also know we're probably in the eighth inning of Fed rate increases. And so far, the economy has been able to handle it. So we may just uh, slide through this in good shape. And then we talk about uh, in- interest rate hikes in terms of cooling the economy. But for the average consumer, interest rate hikes means that car payment is more expensive. Or maybe some debt you were carrying is uh, a lot more expensive compared to a couple of years ago. Or it also means you can't move because you, ha- you-, you refied your house at 2% in 2020, and you don't want to get a 7% whopper of a mortgage on a new house. So when, when this Fed cycle ends, you know, what does this mean for the American consumer? Well, the Fed is trying to restrain the American consumer, uh, both in consumption and in wage demand. So interest rates is their only tool. It's a blunt tool. It's their only tool. 
And what their bet is that they can slow down the economy without sending it into a recession and that if we emerge from this with 2% inflation, the entire society will be better off because uh, 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 wages will, will, will go up, uh, won't be losing ground to inflation, and uh, inflation expectations will stabilize and we'll have a more healthy economy. So their bet is that they can engage in a little bit of overkill, slow down the economy without creating a significant recession, and on the other side of it, you'll have 2% two, uh, 2% inflation and a resumption of economic growth. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, investing with your emotions can be costly. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. The term emotional investing refers to a person who lets emotions rather than logic drive their money decisions. Joining us now with some need-to-know advice is Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Ed, thank you for joining us today. And whenever we talk to uh, financial planners like yourself or others, 20% of the job is keeping an eye on the markets and guiding people's investments. But it always sounds like 80% of the job is acting like your client psychologist. Yeah, Rob, we love this topic because it, it falls under what we do well when engaging with our clients, which is understanding their personal money DNA, right? Their habits and, of course, their approach to risk. And so we as humans aren't built for modern finance. So really trying to, A, understand what our own biases are and then be able to guide clients through those biases is something we actually really enjoy doing. And what are some of the uh, uh, emotional touch points uh, that you encounter in people uh, when they talk about money and investing? I mean, even before we t- discuss about how you react to maybe you know big swings in the market. Yeah, first and foremost, Rob, you know your WBBM listeners have to be able to forgive themselves for emotional decision making because, again, like I said, it's not natural, right? We we have this pendulum of greed and fear that is sort of embedded in us when the markets are at all-time highs, we feel like we're just not invested enough. But conversely, when the markets are at their lows, we feel like we have way too much risk. And this is where that back and forth of the pendulum could at times cause people to make the wrong decision in their overall plan, again, based primarily on emotion. And then who, in your experience, um, is there a particular demographic that may be more emotional about their money and investments uh, at a particular time? I mean, maybe uh, do you get a lot of phone calls from from perhaps uh, younger clients, maybe in their 40s and 50s, wondering, you know, why aren't I invested in crypto or AI or the uh, latest Wall Street darling versus somebody who's in their 60s and 70s saying, look, I'm retired. What's happening to the S&P 500. Yeah, here's the beauty of, of behavioral finance, Rob, and it, it, it just ensnares us all, right? So if we talk about Cabbage Patch dolls or Beanie Babies at the next crypto phase, we've all been sucked into that trap of, wow, you know, all my friends appear to be making money and I'm not making as much. And that, that's that fear of missing out, which is real. And it feels real and it actually feels like it's hurting because you're not on that ride. 
conversely, again, on the downside. So this is not subject to a certain age demographic, although older clients, right, have the wisdom of what they've been through in terms of the decades and the ups and the downs. So they're potentially, at least they've been through it before without reacting, where maybe our younger clients haven't been through, let's say, a dot-com bubble or a bus or a financial crisis. But, you know, again, understand yourself. And most importantly, Rob, make sure your portfolio is supporting your plan. And chasing returns is not good. So for all your listeners out there, right, engaging in a financial plan to set that portfolio up for good times and bad times is key to long-term investment success. Ed Jertsen, Certified Financial Planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Find him online at EngageWealthGroup.com and join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, a big change is coming to Subway restaurants today. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Sandwich giant Subway is installing deli meat slicers to its 20,000 U.S. locations. This comes as the Subchain explores a sale and courts potential buyers. Welcome in Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thanks for joining us today. And, and my first thought about uh, Delhi now slicing the meat on the premises as opposed to uh, having all the sandwich fixins in pre-made bags is that, boy, those Danny DeVito ads for Jersey Mike's must really be uh, working for them. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, you know, Subway is a company that has the ability to learn and, you know, they see that and, uh, you know, it looks like a good idea. A couple of things are driving it, but it's going to be a big change to uh, to see Subway slicing in store, which in their 40 plus years of history, never did it before. Is is this a case of uh, Subway suffering from a first mover problem that they were the first real national uh, sub sandwich chain to uh, gain prominence? And of course, a lot of competitors followed behind them and now and, and, and have surpassed them in some ways. Absolutely. But, you know, they're still the number one in terms of size. And, uh, you know, I think they're they're making a good move now because you know, when when you're sliding backwards and you're fighting to get back on top, this would seem more like a desperate move. But now what this looks like is Subway wants to lead the pack. They're already doing great. And let's uh, give the perf- at least the perception that we are doing things a lot more fresh uh, in our stores. So watching, you know, you walk in, you see people uh, slicing the meats fresh there. It gives you a much better perception and could be a big uh perception change for Subway. How is this going to change things for the Subway franchisees? Because as, as I recall, the reason why there are so many sub, Subway restaurants to begin with is that it has the lowest barrier for entry for anybody who wants to franchise a restaurant. So what is this going to do for these particular establishments and their workflow now that the employees are cutting the meat as, as well as making the sandwiches? Well, uh, it's it's a little bit of a change. Uh, first of all, uh, anybody working the slicer has to be at least 18 years old. It's going to take some training. Uh, the upside, again, is it could start to increase their sales. But as you say, it, it's a change. Will it add more labor? Probably not. And I think one of the things also driving uh, this is, you know, they've been getting all their meats pre-sliced. And uh, in these days of very high labor cost. Uh, it seems to make sense to say, hey, let's stop bringing in and pre-sliced and paying a premium and let's have our people in store do it. It gives us uh, 
you know, two great things, perception so, of fresher product and, you know, uh, maybe a lower uh, cost overall. Subway is exploring a sale and is uh, courting potential buyers. Uh, how will that change the Subway experience uh, if it does, in fact, have a new owner? Uh, well, that certainly will change uh, substantially, but uh, I think in order to uh, entice a potential new owner, you want to make sure that you are doing uh, things that are innovative, things that move you to the top of uh, the sandwich market and, uh, you know, make it at least uh, look like this will be a, uh, a big upswing for the next few years. This isn't a short-term commitment. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.